More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Well, welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and yeah, it's been a few weeks since we had an episode of the podcast, and well, I'm going to get into some of the reasons behind that, but it is really, really good to be back. I am so happy uh, to be switching on the mic today and joining you to talk about sexual abuse in the church and uh, some lessons that I have learned over the past several weeks and And a lot of them relate, yes, to COVID-19. Now, the happiness in my voice and the positivity that you hear from me is something that I have not been feeling the last several weeks. It's been a super, super stressful time for me and my family, and it's just been crazy. And we've come out of it, and everybody's okay And I'm just extremely grateful and happy to be back and happy that everybody is healthy and whole. So I want to give you a little background because what I experienced over the last three weeks really spoke to me um, about the way that we can prevent sexual abuse within our own families. If you have children, there are some especially good lessons in this story. And if you're a part of a church and wondering why it's important for your church to have plans and policies in place place that you adhere to strictly, well, this will help as well. So I want to tell you a little bit about what went on because it's such a huge part of what's been going on in my life and a huge part of my life. Unfortunately, that has affected the podcast just a little bit because I have not been in any shape to record a podcast over the last several weeks. I don't like admitting that because it almost feels like admitting defeat or weakness, and I'm not a fan of doing that. But you know me if you've listened to this podcast at all. I like to be real. I like to be honest. And I like to just tell the truth about what's going on and not sugarcoat anything because that's helpful in healing from sexual abuse and in preventing sexual abuse. Like nobody is helped by pretending that everything is nice and happy and fun. So I'm not going to do that today, even though I do feel nice and happy and fun right now. The last three weeks of my life has not been happy and fun, unfortunately. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what has gone on in my life. And I do this understanding that there are some people who might feel a little bit bad when I talk about what I'm going to talk about. So I want you to know right off the bat that this episode is not meant in any way to shame anybody or make anybody feel bad at all. It's just life. It's just what happened. And I'm just going to explain it because I think that it's going to be helpful to everybody if I do. So a little bit of background. I live with my father. Um, He had a massive stroke three years ago, and I'm just putting that out there. I moved in to help my parents because my dad is unable to walk. 
he is unable to use his left side at all and he needs help with every single task of daily living. So it was very overwhelming for my mom when my dad suffered this stroke. Uh, she basically can't even go to the grocery store and leave him alone. And so she was very overwhelmed with not only the physical burden of everything, but the financial as well. So I'm in a place in my life, single and no children, and I was able to help them out. So that is what I've been doing for the last several years, helping to care for my dad and helping my mom just to alleviate some of the burden from her financially and otherwise. So just giving you that background, not to overshare here on the podcast, but just because I think it's important for people to understand like where I'm coming from and exactly what's been going down in my family over the last several weeks. So obviously when COVID-19 began and I began working from home and all the craziness started happening with the quarantines and the masks and all that good stuff, I was very concerned for my dad, not necessarily for myself. I mean, obviously I didn't want to get coronavirus, but um, concerned for my dad because he has every like major comorbidity that can make you more susceptible to the really bad effects from coronavirus. My dad has heart disease. He has several different kinds of heart disease. He has pulmonary hypertension, a lung disease. He has kidney disease. He has diabetes. He Every single thing that makes you at greater risk for being really harmed or even dying from COVID-19, my dad has. So it has been really a stressful time for all of us just trying to make sure that he is safe and keeping the germs away and all that good stuff during this whole pandemic. Well, I will say that because everything seemed to go so well for months and months and months, we kind of let our guard down just a little bit as we got close to the Thanksgiving holiday. And now I remember reading all the CDC articles and hearing all the CDC warnings about that you know, everybody needs to really not let their guard down during Thanksgiving and during the holiday season because we're going to see a spike in numbers and it's important to stay vigilant. Well, you know, I had protested when people wanted to visit and even just come over to the house. You know, I would get upset if people would come and stop by and not put masks on when they wanted to talk to my dad or visit him. But I kind of got tired of being the person who was always being super vigilant and kind of, I think it's like coming off as the bad guy. You're the one who always looks like you're like causing problems for everybody else. Like somebody wants to come visit him and I'm like, no, absolutely not. They need to stay away and keep their COVID away from here. And that's how I've been for, you know, eight months of the pandemic. So finally, I just thought, you know what? I can't be the only person that's advocating for this and we've done okay so far. And if people aren't sick, like I'm just going to let some other people figure it out. And I did, I let my guard down because honestly, I was just tired, tired of eight months of hypervigilance and being scared every time my dad, you know, sniffled or sneezed that he was going to die. So yes, my guard was completely down. Well, we had some family who typically visit us twice a year, and we love when they visit. Can I just tell you, they're the funnest people in the whole world. I love them immensely. So again, this is not a knock or a shaming on anybody. Like, I absolutely adore when they come to visit. And it had been so long, and nobody had had any issues with being sick. And so when they said that they were going to come and visit, we thought, you know what? I was worried, but I just, I didn't protest like I have when other people have wanted to come visit. I let my guard down and I said, you you know what? We have so much fun when they're here. We had already postponed their trip once because of COVID-19 and we thought, 
you know, if nobody's gotten sick thus far, then it's probably going to be okay. Nothing to worry about here. Nothing to see here. Well, on their way to come visit us, I guess they started to not feel so great. And they stopped at a couple other families' houses, like some other family of theirs, on their way down to the very bottom of the earth in Florida, where we live. And by the time they got here, they weren't feeling great. But both of them said, you know, we don't feel good, but it feels like the same normal, like cold and sinus stuff that we get every single year. So we're not really worried about it because this happens to us every year. And especially when we're traveling and stressed. And so like, this is totally normal for us. So, um, we were like, all right. And part of me was like, oh dear Jesus, I am so terrified that this is happening. But the other part of me was like, I don't want to come off as rude and I don't want to seem like I'm being overprotective and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And honestly, from the time I've been born, I've been taught not to hurt people's feelings. That's just it. Like you say whatever needs to be said, whatever white lie you need to tell to make people feel good and don't ever just be real and honest. And that wasn't the lesson that I think that people were trying to teach me, but it's what I learned growing up. So yeah, that's something I need to work on. But I was not about to say, yeah, could you please not come in our house since you don't feel good and like go get a hotel instead? Because to me, it would make me be a giant jerk and mean to people who had just traveled so far to come and visit. Well, fast forward to the next day. They were both still feeling bad, and we got uh, some text messages from the people that they had just visited, and one by one, every single person that they had visited had fallen ill, and we got nervous, and a couple of them said, hey, we're going to go get tested for COVID just to see if that might be what this is, and so I was on high alert, but praying at the same time that nobody would test positive. Well, unfortunately, three of the people that they had visited tested positive for coronavirus just a few days after they got to our house. And then I was in full on panic mode. I mean, if you've listened to the podcast at all, you know that Kelly has an anxiety disorder and it rears its ugly head when I least want it to. So I tried to stay calm. I put on a mask. I put a mask on my dad and um, I headed to a COVID testing site with the two people who were visiting. And I just thought, well, you know, we've been sharing the same food. We've all been interacting and we're all kissing on the same little sweet puppy that's in the house, or I should say evil puppy, because he's definitely the face and body of evil covered in fur. But we've all been kissing on the same little puppy, and he's been licking all our faces and going from lap to lap. There's literally no way that we don't all have COVID-19. There's no way under the sun that it's possible that we've been in the house for three days with two COVID positive people who are coughing and sniffling and uh, like only wearing masks sporadically. Like there's no way we don't have it. We've all been touching the same food, the same coffee maker, everything. So I was convinced. So I went to stand in line and I don't leave my house super often during COVID-19. I do grocery delivery. I work from home. So yeah, sometimes if I want to go like out and see a friend, maybe to have dinner or something, I'll do that. But I typically don't leave my house very much. So I went to get tested. I went to Walgreens to buy a box or two or 12 of masks because I thought we've all got to be masked now. This is like very important um, in the house and went home and we went to await the test results. And again, I was terrified thinking it's probably not a good idea for company to stay here while they have COVID-19 because 
if by some miracle we haven't been infected yet, we're probably going to be infected because it is so super contagious and they were so sick when they showed up at our door. And so I, again, I don't want to be a jerk and say somebody should leave and we're trying to be polite and all that good stuff. And at the same time, I'm freaking out that my dad is going to die of COVID. Like that's literally what my anxiety was doing to me. Like I was in not in a good place and I was um, pretty miserable. But as I went to get tested, I began to feel sick on the day that I went to get tested. I had a headache that started that would not go away. And one of the people who tested positive for COVID in my house had a headache that would not go away. I also began to have some gastrointestinal issues. My stomach was very upset. And I just knew, I'm like, this is all COVID-19. My heart rate was crazy high. It was like 106, between 106 and 127 that first day that we went and got tested. And I could say part of it was anxiety, but even when I wasn't feeling anxious at all, my heart rate was through the roof. It was just skyrocketing. And I thought, this is really weird. So I definitely have COVID. Like, that's just what I thought. I definitely have it. Well, my first test came back negative, but the test of the other two people who were in our house came back positive. So they, you know, finally decided to head out of the house and they were going to just go home. And so the next morning after that positive test came back, they decided to go home and, and they left. And I thought, well, they've been here for five days. It was a Friday to a Wednesday. Like they've been here for five days. There's no way we're not all like riddled with COVID. There's no way that we've escaped this. And so yeah, I was anxious, but I didn't really even have time to be anxious because I was so miserable. My head hurt so bad. My heart rate was crazy fast and my stomach was so upset. So I'm like, yeah, I got a false negative. I tested too early, but I definitely have COVID. So I dealt with this headache where I could barely function. The only time that it wasn't horrible is if I was asleep. And so I thought, well, I can't just sleep forever. I have like 93 jobs and I have all this stuff to do and I've got to help care for my dad. And that was another stressor because when you're caring for somebody who is very vulnerable and you're scared you have COVID-19, like it, it's just miserable. You know, every like, again, every sneeze, every anything, I thought we're all dying for sure. Like this is what's happening. And I was just, I was a wreck and I sound like I'm laughing now and I'm in a good mood now because all of us are still alive and everything's fine. But at the time it was so dark. It was just the darkest feeling. And I know that people say like, don't let fear take over and don't let the fear of COVID-19 control your life. And honestly, I, I agree with that. And, and I, I understand like my brain, like it gets through and I comprehend it logically. However, in my body, when I'm dealing with anxiety, it does not deal with reason and logic very well. It just doesn't compute. My anxiety tells me everything is bad. And, you know, I wasn't worried for myself. Again, I was worried for my dad, who's super, super susceptible to illness. And I thought right before Thanksgiving, this is all we need for this horrible experience to be happening. In any case, as the days went on and I was feeling sicker and sicker, I finally was just like super frustrated and I went to get a second COVID-19 test because I thought I have to have it. I'm so miserable. And that test came back negative as well. But as I was going to get tested the second time, 
I was thinking, it's just, why will this headache not go away? Medicine wasn't working. Nothing was working. My stomach was upset. I was miserable. And I finally was just like, it's so strange that if I go to sleep, it goes away. Like when I would wake up in the morning, I wouldn't have a headache. When I would wake up in the morning, my stomach wouldn't be upset. I would actually feel good. So I kept waiting to feel horrible. But every morning when I woke up, I felt good. And then within about 30 minutes of getting up, I was so sick and miserable again. So I finally thought, what's the difference when I'm asleep? And I realized I'm not wearing a mask when I'm asleep. I don't have a mask on and I do during the day. And it dawned on me. I'm super, super allergic to a lot of environmental stuff here in South Florida. I'm super allergic to the building I typically work in when I'm not working from home during COVID-19. I would get a migraine like every Monday and Tuesday going into the office because I was so allergic to the building and I hated it. I had to start taking like migraine shots to make that stop. And I would still get sinus headaches, but no migraines, thank goodness, after I started the shots. So I realized I could be like having an allergic reaction to something in these masks. And so I called some people in my family who are like medical experts and they work in the field and they were like, uh, yeah, it sounds like you are having almost an anaphylactic reaction to the mask you're wearing. Cause if you take it off and it stops and doesn't come back, then that's a sign that it's the masks that are causing this. They were some blue masks. I'm positive that they were manufactured in China and who knows what's in them because they don't have to put the ingredients on the box. And I just realized once I stopped wearing them, I switched to a cloth mask. All of my symptoms went away immediately. But when I tell you I was miserably sick for over a week, like just miserable to where I felt like I couldn't function. I was so tired of having a headache. I was so miserable and scared at the same time, which made it even worse. And I was having such a severe reaction to these masks. It caused that massive headache. It caused really bad stomach issues. And it caused my heart rate to just skyrocket and and just stay up there as my body dealt with its response to... I guess whatever was triggering that histamine reaction. In any case, mystery solved for me. The problem was I still had a lot of anxiety to deal with based on the fact that it had only been uh, less than a week since they left our house and less than a week since we'd first been exposed to COVID-19. So every single day, I basically was waiting and waiting for our symptoms to start and for us to get sick because Honestly, guys, I have zero idea and nobody that I talk to can really figure it out. They say maybe the virus was done shedding by the time they got to our house, but they had only been sick for like five days. So I don't know how that's possible. Like I literally don't know how that's possible that they infected 13 people with COVID-19 on their way to our house and then stayed in our house for five days, not being very careful, mind you, and we're sharing all the same food, touching all the same crap and we didn't get COVID-19. And I honestly feel like it's a miracle. I mean, I'm sure there may be a scientific explanation. I'm not like ruling that out, but either way, it's miraculous because I don't see how it's possible, especially with my dad's um, fragility and his susceptibility to illness. It's just kind of crazy. All I can think is we have some crazy good immune systems, which could be true because when you're around people who work in the medical field and they're around germs constantly, it does help build up your immune system. But even people with good immune systems are not fighting off COVID-19 very well. So miraculous. What does all this have to do with sexual abuse and the church or just within your own family and preventing it? Well, I got to thinking that this is the exact reason, like what we went through is the exact reason we talk about the fact that it's so important for churches to have a 
plan in place to prevent sexual abuse and to have specific protocol and actual policy in place so that when you're tired and when you're worried about hurting people's feelings and when life happens and when things get in the way, you're still protecting children because the policy is in place and no matter how you feel and no matter what happens, you adhere to that policy. So I sat down with my mom after this happened and I was like, listen, we, we let our guards down. You know, both of us were not very careful. We thought, well, it's been a while. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So we're just going to, you know, do whatever. And I'm like, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that's pretty much what we did. We just, you know, fingers crossed, hope for the best, let people in so we don't hurt their feelings and so that they're not mad at us. And then just fingers crossed, my dad doesn't die of a horrifying disease. And that's craziness. So I said to her, and I actually use the sexual abuse policies in the church as an example. And I said, you know, when you have a policy in place that that's just the policy, it doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter who's doing what. It doesn't matter who doesn't like it or who does like it. It doesn't matter who breaks the policy. When you have that policy in place, you have those rules and those regulations in place, then there's no worry when things come up. There's no worry when you're tired. There's no worry when you're letting your guard down because you're just so sick and tired of having to tell people no and having to have people think that you're just like a crazy person who's scared of an illness that, you know, a lot of people don't really take that seriously. But having a specific policy for how we're going to deal with people who want to come to the house when my dad is as susceptible as he is would prevent the issues from happening. And that's what I told her, like, we need a plan and we need a policy in place. And then no matter who's coming or who's whatever, these are the rules and this is what we're doing. And so we could say, yes, people can come visit if you go and get tested before you come. And if you're not having any symptoms of illness, um, or further, we're not having anybody come until my dad can get vaccinated, which he's refusing to do. So yeah, pray, pray for Kelly, because I feel like if he would just take the stupid COVID vaccine, we don't have to worry about long-term effects because my dad is 72 years old in a few weeks. Um, if he would just get vaccinated, I feel like I could stop worrying about it. I could breathe a little sigh of relief, but he is convinced it hasn't been tested enough, blah, blah, blah. Another story for another time. But having that policy in place takes all of the pressure off of us really because it's like no this is the, the these are the rules this is what we've come up with doesn't matter what kind of mood we're in doesn't matter how much we love a particular person who wants to break those rules these are just the rules and in a lot of churches it's not like that and even in some of our homes it's not like that if you look at what happened with us I love my dad dearly I don't want anything bad to happen to him but honestly we were more concerned about not hurting people's feelings and not making people upset with us or making people feel bad we we were more concerned with that than with my dad's life in essence. And that might sound a little bit extreme, but that's really what it boils down to. I was taught my whole life, you just make other people feel good. You just, you do what needs to be done so you don't hurt other people's feelings and you sacrifice yourself at every turn. And listen, I'm all about self-sacrifice and and servanthood and, and all that. And I agree, but I don't think that servanthood is saying, well, 
if you want to come visit us and we don't want your feelings to be hurt and you, we want you to feel good. So we're not going to say anything, even though it could potentially kill my dad. That's not servanthood. That's like a little bit ridiculous. And again, n- no shame on anybody because literally the people who came to visit, they were so upset when they realized that they were sick. They were so upset when they realized that they could potentially make my dad sick. But again, it was the same thing for all of us. Our guards were down because we were so far into this pandemic and everybody was just sick and tired of all the rules and regulations and thinking, you know what, nothing's happened thus far. It's probably going to be fine. So no shame on anybody. But the entire problem was failing to plan, failing to have a policy in place and failing to adhere to that policy even when we don't want to. And I was really proud of my mom because right after this happened, somebody asked if they could come visit. And I was nervous because she said, well, I don't want this person to be mad at me if I tell them they can't come because he hasn't been vaccinated. And she's like, I really don't want them to hurt my feelings. And if I worry about people's feelings being hurt and if I worry about people being mad at me, if I worry about it, my mom worries about it like a hundred times as much as I do. So I was so proud of her when she told this person, listen, I love you much but you're going to be traveling and he is not vaccinated. And unfortunately, uh, the one time we broke these rules, we very nearly had a bad, bad experience and we just can't do it. And I was so over the moon, proud of my mom that her policies in place until he's vaccinated, nobody can come and stay in the house if they've been traveling. And that's just that, because this is the thing people are saying, well, we don't feel sick. So can we just stop by? And it's like, well, you know, a lot of people who have COVID-19 don't feel sick. And so the way I relate this back to the church, when you think about it, um, one of the churches that I just came out of where there was an issue with one of the youth leaders um, being arrested for sexually assaulting uh, a young teen, in that church, I I asked, like, are there policies in place about him being allowed to drive teens around and having them at his house and all this stuff? And I think I mentioned it on the podcast before, maybe when Jimmy Hinton was on the podcast, but um, one of the board members said to me, she's like, we have a policy in place. She said, he just slipped through the cracks and we don't really know why. He just, you know, it was like it applied to everybody else, but for some reason, nobody really picked up on the fact that all of this was being violated. And it really wasn't even that they didn't pick up on it because they could see him. He had a, a young, like, teen in the youth group with him all the time, and they would drive through Starbucks at 6 a.m., and I have a friend who works at that Starbucks, and she said, you know what, I used to just always have the sick feeling that why was this kid that wasn't related to him, always in this van with him every single day at 6am. And she's like, it didn't seem right. And something didn't sit well with me. But of course, you know, she had no proof of any evil doing and wrongdoing. So she just let it slide like everybody else did. But he slowly started to just violate all these policies. And people were like, Oh, we know him. We know that guy. He's a pillar of the church. And he's he's a great guy. And yeah, he's definitely not doing anything. I know this feeling because I used to work in ministry in my dad's church, you know, so many years. He, he's he been a pastor or was a pastor from the time I was about uh, 12 years old, I believe, 11 or 12, the first time he started to pastor. And so I, I was constantly taking care of kids in the nursery and we were having youth events and youth outings and all this different stuff. And I know how easy it is to start to trust somebody and just let things slide because you know them. 
I know that person. He's never going to hurt a kid. So if he has to take a kid to the bathroom and there's nobody else to go with him because we're short on volunteers, like, you know, it's probably fine. Like, seriously, we know he's not going to do anything because we know him. But unfortunately, letting your your guard down like that or not having a policy in place that says it doesn't matter who this person is. It doesn't matter if he's the pastor of the church and you trust him with your life. It does not matter. The rules are in place for every single person and nobody is to violate them ever. Even if you're short staffed, even if you're short on volunteers, you know what? You don't have enough volunteers to make sure there are two people with, with the kids at all times, then don't have children's church. You keep them in the adult service and say, sorry, more of you are going to need to volunteer on a regular basis so that we can make sure that these policies to keep your children safe are in place. I know that it might seem simple, but I think that when churches think about having policies, it's like, oh, we just invent these elaborate rules and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we just have it on paper that this is how it's supposed to go and it protects us for insurance purposes or whatever. But that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is so that you never have to make a decision that might put a child in danger. That's the purpose of the policy. So that no matter how like run down you're feeling, and we know that volunteers in children's ministry can get very run down and volunteers in church in general, no matter how run down and tired you're feeling, when that super nice person is like, oh, I'll volunteer and I'll, I'll, I'll pick up this kid and, and bring him to church and I'll do this and I'll do that. And oh, what a nice person. So, you know, maybe we don't need to worry about the fact that he's one-on-one with a, a young child bringing him to church and there's not a a second adult with them. Maybe we don't need to worry about the fact that he's having a Bible study at his house with no other adult present. Maybe we don't need to worry about you. When you have that policy in place and the rules are to be obeyed across the board, no matter who it is, you don't have to worry about those times when you're super tired and you're just feeling like letting your guard down because you're just exhausted. You know, you don't have to worry about hurting anybody's feelings. Hey, pastor, We trust you implicitly. Unfortunately, our policy is that you're not to pick up a young person and bring them to church um, unless you have another adult with you in the car. That's our policy, whether you're the pastor or not, and there are consequences for violating the church's policy. So that's the importance of having that plan in place. And it's something that was just really, the point was just brought home to me in this huge COVID scare in my family. Um, I, I was just reminded of how important it is to have a plan in place, to have a policy in place, whether it's a church or even just in your own family. You know, I consider some people like we have an open door policy in my house. My, my kids are never to have their bedroom door closed when somebody else is in there with them. They always have to leave it open. Well, what if it's a person you super trust, you know, like one of your relatives that is probably going to think, dude, I would never harm your kid. Well, this is our policy and we need for them to adhere to it no matter who it is, because that will help them to learn how important this policy is when it's somebody who might want to do them harm. And so then everybody can get involved in helping your kids to learn and in helping them to adhere to this policy that is meant to keep them safe. So it's simple, but at the same time, I see over and over again how we fail in this area. Just in talking to that person from church who was like, yeah, I have, we have these policies. I don't know why it is that we didn't make him follow them. Everybody else had to follow him, but for some reason we just were like, eh, it's just him. And he's great with kids and he's harmless and we know him and, 
and he's he's being ordained and all this stuff. So he's safe and yeah, we don't need to worry about it. You know, we don't need to make a big deal out of it. We don't need to blow it out of proportion. Like we know he's fine. Well, you don't know. Unfortunately, that's just the reality. You never know. So just like us letting our guard down and being like, well, it's probably going to be okay to let people who've not been tested for COVID-19 <laughs> come visit us. And then it's probably not the end of the world if we let them in the house, even though they're hacking and coughing and their faces are bright red and they're sweating. <laughs> like, you know, it's probably going to be fine. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like we just want, you know, everybody to like us and 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 not be upset. And that's what's important. Well, unfortunately, when when you operate like that, you put people in danger and you put people at risk. And we unfortunately put my dad at risk with COVID-19. And that's what churches and even families are doing all the time with their own kids. Failing to plan is planning to fail. And when you have that strict policy, like this is just what we do. It's non-negotiable. So in my house now, no, if you're traveling, you may not come and stay and visit my dad until he is vaccinated against COVID-19 or until something changes in the United States where people are not spreading it around as much. And the only way you're still allowed to visit is if you have zero symptoms of COVID-19. And if you're even sniffling, we got to cancel no matter whose feelings get hurt and no matter how far you've come or driven, it, it doesn't matter because it is about keeping people who are vulnerable safe. And that's what we need to be doing in our homes with our kids and in our churches as well. Having that policy in place that takes out any guesswork, it takes human emotion out of the equation. That doesn't mean that there won't be any human emotion, but if you can pull up a manual and say, hey, um, Joe Schmo." We noticed that you drove up to church today with one of the young teens from our youth group. And here on page 37, section C1 of the church child protection policy, it states that no one is to be alone with a minor in a vehicle or anywhere else for that matter. There have to be two adults present and, you know, whatever the rule might be. And unfortunately, we have to put this down as an incident and we're sure you didn't mean anything bad by it. I'm sure the person's feelings might get hurt, but the, the, the truth is, the reality is, that's what's in the policy and they have to adhere to it, not because the wind is blowing a certain way and you're feeling a certain way on that day, but because that is what you adhere to at all times. It is the policy and it's not to be violated. And I learned that lesson uh, in a really, really stressful way. I honestly, I've never had a panic attack in my entire life. And I am pretty sure that all of this culminated last week with a panic attack. Um, I'm, I'm positive that's what it was because I cannot imagine anything else that it would have been. It was horrible. I was literally sitting down to record the podcast last week. And that is what happened to me. I had a panic attack instead. And the I couldn't do anything like for the rest of the night, I was like, Oh, my gosh, you know, we've been sick, and I've been miserable, and I haven't been able to record the podcast. And then I sit down to do it. And I have a stinking panic attack because I'm so worried that my dad is going to die. The good news is, uh, after all this craziness, I can say it has been 14 days exactly since the COVID-19 riddled folks left our house and nobody has any symptoms. And that's completely amazing to me. And I praise God for it. You know, I'm a person who I can be skeptical when people are like, this is definitely a miracle. And it's not that I don't have faith in God. I just, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Um, but five days in a house with people who had had COVID for less than a week and had infected 13 other people and me and my mom and my dad symptom-free 
and fine. And so I don't know like how that's even possible. I'm sure there's a scientific explanation, but either way, I'm praising God for that. And I know that he was keeping us safe and watching over us, even in our idiocy of not being careful during this pandemic. And unfortunately, that's not something that happens all the time. And that's not something you can sit and rely on. Well, we're just going to throw caution to the wind. I mean, you've heard people say this during the whole pandemic, like, well, God is my protector, so I don't need to worry about COVID-19. It's like, well, plenty of people who believe in God as their protector and who love him with their whole hearts have gotten very sick and died during this pandemic because, you know, we were susceptible to illness, unfortunately, as human beings, no matter how much we love Jesus, it happens. And, you know, a lot of people who love him with their whole hearts get sick. And a lot of people who love him with their whole hearts die. And it's one of those things like we were given a brain and we're expected to use it when it comes to things like COVID-19 and when it comes to protecting our children from sexual abuse. We cannot just fingers crossed, let's hope for the best that my child, you know, comes out of his childhood unscathed. That is not a safety plan for your kids, whether at home or in your church, you need to have specifics in place for how you're going to deal with any scenario so that no matter how you feel and no matter what you're worried about and your human emotions, which just like wax and wane incessantly, especially if you're me, I'm up and down like a roller coaster all the time. Even when that goes amok, you have that plan in place that's going to keep everybody safe regardless of how you're feeling. I just wanted to share that little update on life and uh, sorry if it's too much information for everybody, but I just wanted to share because that's the one thing that was in my mind over and over again is Kelly, you know, this, you know, this, because you talk about how to protect kids in the church, you know, the thing about having a policy and that you can't just cross your fingers and hope for the best. And, you know, please Jesus protect us. That is not what protects kids. It's not what protected my dad. It's not what protects kids in the church. And I think that it was a really helpful reminder for me and uh, hopefully helpful for you as well. So if your church doesn't have a specific policy in place with like actual actual steps that are to be taken if somebody violates the policy, why not meet with the pastor? Why not meet with somebody in charge and, and ask if you can help to uh, look over the policy and maybe see about revamping it in order to keep people safe? You can direct them right to this episode if you want uh, to maybe drive the point home a little bit. Well, thanks as always for tuning into the podcast. I'm sorry about the brief hiatus. It has been a crazy time in my life and, and really... I'm to the point when my anxiety is really horrible, it's very difficult for me to be able to even like reach out and let people know. But I, I want to say thank you. And I'll just publicly call her out here on the podcast. I want to thank Ruth, um, a listener of our podcast. And I have chatted with Ruth about some of her story and the experience she had with childhood sexual abuse in the church as a youngster. And uh, her story is heartbreaking, but Ruth is the most amazing person. And I was like lamenting a little bit when all this was happening. And I was so riddled with stress and just like uh, upset and um, feeling miserably sick. And I thought, you know, it really stinks that I don't have anybody that I can really lean on right now for support and for help and, and all that. And again, not to like, woe is me, but that's just the feeling that I had. Like, I really felt like I did not have a support system where I could be like, hey, this is what I'm going through. I need somebody to lean on. And I thought, you know what? 
Ruth is always offering to pray for me. She's always praying for me. She's always sending me encouraging texts and being an amazing human being. And I texted her and I'm like, listen, I'm just letting you know that this is going on in my life because I'm terrified and I'm not doing well. And my anxiety is at an all time high. And bless Ruth's heart. She encouraged me. She uplifted me with her words and mostly with her prayers, which I absolutely felt. So as a community, you guys are amazing. Ruth, you are an amazing person. And I am so appreciative of your friendship and your love and your support. And so many people on the Survivor Sanctuary uh, Facebook group are the same. I know I can turn to you guys and you're there uh, to comfort. And I've been a little MIA the last several weeks. And now you know why. (laughs) You know what Kelly was going through. But I just appreciate um, your love and support. And I love our community. You guys are awesome. So, well, that is going to do it for this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. And I will catch you back here next time and hopefully no more COVID scares. Fingers crossed, but also policy in place. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.